everyone. Why don't we turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to read from chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 today. And just as you're turning there, uh, just as we did last week, we had a, a, a few book recommendations for you as we thought through uh, marriage last week and husbands and wives and so on. This week, some recommendations for you in relation to parenting in particular. Um, again, these uh, CCEF booklets that are available in the rack downstairs, and if not available downstairs uh, from the pastoral team in the office, uh, some very, very helpful uh, booklets are available for you. Uh, one is called Angry Children, Understanding and Helping Your Child Regain Control. No particular reason why I started with that one. Helping Your Adopted Child, great little book. Single Parents, Daily Grace for the Hardest Job, that is fantastic. We want to uphold all of our single parents who are seeking to teach their kids gospel truths well. Get a hold of that one, it's precious, really good. Uh, If you have teenage children, two books that are available downstairs, Anne Benton on Teenagers, Biblical Wisdom for Parents, Age of Opportunity by Paul David Tripp as well. And uh, another one that's just brand new, I haven't read this myself, but is apparently very good, Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson, uh, a mother and daughter combination there. I've rushed through those at 100 miles an hour because I want to get you to these two. Okay, Uh, Gospel-Centered Parenting by Bill Farley, William Farley, is available downstairs. Uh, I started reading this, I think, on Friday night or Saturday, maybe Saturday evening. Last night? Anyway. It's a bit of a blur, but it was great. I couldn't put it down. I finished the whole book in like two and a half hours. I just obviously not reading every every single word, but it's it's amazing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> I'm not getting commission or anything at all. It, it's a phenomenal book. I've oh, I've waited ages to get a book like that, even though I've only had kids for three years. Anyway, um, another one. Uh, Tim Chester's book, The Gospel-Centered Family, a great selection of Bible studies, particularly husbands. Why don't you walk through this with your wives, whether you have kids or not, actually walk through these things. They're tremendous little booklets. So Bill Farley, Gospel Power Parenting, Tim Chester, Gospel-Centered Family. Uh, tremendous. Let's have the first slide up, shall we? The fact that we have... Uh, A problem, a, pro- a problem, yes, indeed, a program called Super, Na- that Super Nanny is indicative of a problem. It really is. I mean, that so many people watch a program like this is indicative of actually really the tendency that children can have towards disobedience and actually, admittedly, sometimes the tendency that parents can have towards desperation. Okay? Lots and lots of people watch programs like this on their TVs and try and get a handle on what it is to handle kids and what it is to be a a parent. The sobering thing is that that, that the kind of instruction on how to handle kids and how to be a good parent is actually of utmost importance. Uh, A recent article, uh, a, a report published by UNICEF the worldwide children's charity who combined, did a comparative study of Spain, Sweden, and the UK in relation to 
uh, how parents handle children, how they raise their children, and what the children see as problems in their the, the parents. And it, it, sh- it does not paint the UK in a particularly good light at all. Far, far from it. And I think that's why we see that our bookstores are so full of uh, advice on parenting. Now you can watch Super Nanny if you want. Or you can read these books in the bookstores, Waterstones and so on, if you like. But we really need to turn to God's Word and see what the Bible has to say. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, yeah, I, I, and this is for everyone, you understand. I'm not just speaking this morning to 35% of the church who currently have children of various ages. I think children, young people who are here, teenagers, teenagers in particular, are, admittedly our kids, most of them are out this morning, sadly. And this is our parents' responsibility to tell them what I've said afterwards, of course. But I, I think young people need to hear this because your forever is at stake, really. And that's not an overstatement. Your forever is at stake in this. Uh, parents should certainly be listening to what God's Word has to say here because you're really at the coalface of parenting. That's obvious enough. But what about those of you who are, maybe who are parents, but whose children have grown up and are moving out? Is this time for a snooze? No. Because Titus 2 tells you, and women in particular, that you have a particular responsibility to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. So it's relevant for all. It's even relevant for those of you who are not yet married or who would want to be married and who could possibly have kids in the future, Lord willing. And for those of you who aren't planning on getting married, those of you who are just single, get this, it's for everyone. Because when we stand up here and we we have our dedications We have our babies here. We get you to stand up on your feet. And what do we make you promise? Really, that you're going to make a commitment to make sure that we as a church are going to uphold the centrality of the family in our church. And that we're going to defend that. And that we're going to partner all of those who do have children in this great work that God has ordained for us. This is why it's important for every single one of us. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, let's not forget where we are at in our uh, book of Ephesians. We're not just parachuting in here to have a topical sermon on the issue of parenting. Paul has been very eager to say that this one new man that has been formed by God's saving work, we have been adopted into a family, formed into one new man with one great purpose, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if you look back to chapter 5, verse 15, Paul has said, Paul says between chapters 4 and 6, says walk this way a number of times. And this was the last one. Be very careful then how you live or how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And everything that follows after that, this is wisdom. Wisdom to be applied, okay? 
And then in chapter 5 and verse 18 in particular, he says, this is what it means. You should be filled with the Spirit. And then goes on to outline a little bit about what that looks like. So we sing. We exude gratitude. We follow God's plan for divinely ordered relationships. That is with husbands and wives as we looked at last week. And this week, children and parents. So what we're looking at today is essentially ways that children and parents can show that they are truly being transformed by the gospel of grace and that they themselves are indeed being filled with the Spirit and this is evident in their lives. So what I want to do is just look at two things. Number one, the importance of a child's submission and number two, the importance of a father's training. So number one, the importance of a child's submission. Obey your parents' out of reverence for God. That's basically the command that comes for children. Children, verse 1, obey your parents in the Lord. I think it's true to say that children struggle with obedience, don't they? If you're a parent, just ask yourself how many times you've had to give your child a telling off in the last three hours, uh, seven days. (laughs) Sundays are trying, aren't they? Yeah. Just ask yourselves if you... How many times you've had to give your child a telling off in that time? Or even if you are a, maybe a young person, a teenager, think about how many times in the past week you've grumbled, perhaps when they've asked you to do something. Do you know why? Why is, let's get to the heart of it, why do children and young people struggle with obedience? For the same reason that we adults do, of course, because of the sinful tendency of their hearts. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Those cute little things in your arms, you know, when they're first born and you so on. You're, you're cradling a little sinner. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> the Lord is very strong in saying to us, like, this is the way we are born with iniquity in our hearts. And we struggle with this, don't we? Because we look at our kids and we love them. We think they're amazing. But it's true. They look so sweet. And often we can just actually, because we don't like to believe that kind of thing, we can sometimes make excuses for their disobedience. Oh, oh, he's just tired. Or maybe he's just hungry. Or, oh, well, she's been led astray by a bad crowd at school. Or, oh, it's Smarties. It's those additives that they put in food. You know, it's, it's those kind of things. Now, in some cases, admittedly, these things can be contributing factors, Okay. 1 Corinthians 15 says, uh, bad company corrupts good character. Okay, we know that. That's in the word as well. But actually, the real reason that children will disobey parents is because they reject their parents' authority in preference for their own self-rule. Okay? And in doing so, by rejecting that authority and preferring their own self-rule, they do two things. Number one, they fail to acknowledge the God-given authority of parents. And number two, they fail to see that that obedience is actually for their good. I think you see that in verses 2 to 3, which mention this further motivation for honoring your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And this is the second thing we see in this, that honor your parents because through them, God plans to bless you. And you see what Paul is doing here. Even with this reference to the Ten Commandments, I think he's doing 
two things. He's taken us right back to Mount Sinai, where God descended to deliver his law for his people, inscribing with his very own finger that commandment, honor your father and mother. And I think he's showing how central the family and parental authority is to God's great plan for his people. And Paul's encouraging us to remember that in Exodus, God calls the people, even his, his firstborn son. He cares for them like a father cares for his children. And he instructs them and gives them commands. And what does he say to do with them? What does he say to do with them? Keep them. Why? Because this is life for you. It will go well with you. You will live long in the land. Now, he's not... Don't misunderstand that. He's not saying if you follow these commands to the letter, you're going to live to your 120, okay? That's not the way it's working. It's proverbial. It's the general principle that these things are good and you should follow them. They will be blessed if they do these things. In other words, well, what, did, what did Israel do? What did God's children do on a number of occasions? Well, they rejected God's fatherly authority and wandered away from him. We need to see, especially for kids, or if we're parents, we need to teach our kids the importance of this, that honoring our parents is necessary because through them, God plans to bless us. Let me speak to some of our children, perhaps mainly those who are obviously still living at home. Do you realize that your heart has this sinful tendency towards self-rule? You want to do what you want, when you want. And though behind it all, you might say, yeah, I love my parents, and you do, I'm sure. Sometimes you'll find yourself not only rejecting them, but even at some points hating them. I hate you. Some of us have heard our kids say that. But disobedience is deadly. Disobedience is deadly. And what we're supposed to see, even in this little text, in verses 1 to 3, is that welcoming God's rule and God's authority over us by honoring our parents will bring blessing. But rejecting God's rule and the authority that he is, has over us through our parents will actually bring judgment. And I think verses 1 to 3 shows that God, God not, not only intends good for us by giving us parents to command us to do certain things and teach us and encourage us, but to love us as he has loved us. And here's what God wants for you specifically. By submitting to your parents and obeying them, God is trying to teach you what it means to submit to his own loving rule and to submit to his authority. Maybe you haven't even done that yet. Maybe I'm being presumptuous. Can I ask you then, please, for the sin of disobeying your parents on all those occasions? And alongside all the other sins that you have committed in your life, Jesus died so that even wayward children and disobedient young people who have been living to please themselves can ask forgiveness and find it from the gracious Father, God himself. You see, Jesus told the story of a family where the youngest son rejected the authority of his father. 
wandered away, spent and squandered his share of the inheritance, but rejecting his father's authority didn't make him free, didn't make him happy. He ended up wishing he could eat the slops that he was feeding to some pigs. The thing that happened with him was that he came to his senses. And he went back to his father, even thinking, I'm going to say sorry, I'm going to ask to be a servant. And then his father did that, which at that time was seen to be absolutely undignified, that would have resulted in the father being absolutely ridiculed. The father saw him a long way off and showed him the extent of his love and of his grace and of his forgiveness to a son who wished him dead and did not care that he was alive. He forgave him and clothed him with the marks of sonship again. That is a picture of the gospel. That's what a gracious father in heaven does for rebellious boys and girls like us. So the encouragement for us today is to turn in repentance and receive this great grace from him. What about the parents in this regard? Are you exercising, can I ask you this, are you exercising the God-given authority that he has given you as a parent? Has it crossed your mind that, okay, God has actually placed my kids under my authority so that I can help teach them how to live under his authority? And I ask this because sometimes I see in my own parenting a mixed message that I present to my kids about who's in control and who is the authority in the home. So here's an exchange. Listen to this. What's wrong with this? Uh, Can you eat your carrots, please? I don't have to. I I ate my broccoli. Well, I would like you to eat some more. Oh, can I I eat half? How about just three bites? Okay, you can have three bites, yeah. Okay. And then you can have some ice cream. Question. Who's in control? Who's in control? The children. And actually, on those occasions, it's my fault. Because I am not being sufficiently clear enough with them. And I don't want to show my kids that when it comes to God's commands that they can negotiate with him. That's going to leave them in trouble. Trouble I definitely don't want them in. And as parents, I think we must understand this delegated authority that we possess and be clear in communicating to our kids and showing to our kids how good and how blessed it is to live under God's authority. Not as some restraining thing, but a freeing thing where true joy and true love and true happiness are found. And that leads us into the second thing that we're looking at today. Number two, the importance of a father's training. Our children are already disobedient. We've established that. But I think there's an appeal in here which says, do not feed your child's rebellion. Verse four, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, you may have noticed so far that Paul has said, children, obey your, what's the word? Parents. Not just children, obey your dad. And then when it comes to parental responsibility, he seems only to address fathers. What's going on there? Has he been chauvinistic? I mean, what's he doing? 
Does he not know who spends most time with the children, especially when they're young? Huh. I can hear the women now. Maybe you want to come and spend some time with the children, Paul. No. Listen, Paul's not being dismissive of women, not at all. But the fact that children are to obey their parents in itself indicates that mothers will offer instruction and command and guidance to the children. Indeed, you just need to read Proverbs and hear the appeal of Solomon and his father as a father figure saying in Proverbs 1.8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. It happens. So why is Paul just addressing fathers only here? Well, I think in the context, Paul is dealing with matters of authority and headship, even in the Christian household. And the headship of the husband extends even to the raising of the children. So in that sense, I think he's expressing to us that fathers bear a unique responsibility. And so he starts negatively. Here's what you must not do, dads. Do not exasperate your children. In other words, don't provoke your children. Don't, don't do things that make them get angry at you or hate you. Well, how do we do that? Well, in Ephesus back then, there were two particular people groups within the city that were known for being the kind of people who would really stir up their kids to anger and to hate them. There were Hellenistic Jews who were known for meeting out some severe punishment to their children. And then there were those who had been influenced by the strict Roman practice of patria potestas, which basically meant that the father of the house was exercising the kind of unlimited power kind of authority over the children, even to the point of sending them out as slaves to the field. And refusing to grant them care in doing so. So what I think Paul is doing here specifically as he addresses the Ephesians, and indeed teaches us, he's, it seems like Paul is really eager to stress to the Christians in Ephesus that the headship and the authority that God apportions fathers is completely different. It's countercultural from what they are seeing in their own city. He's already shown us in Ephesians, hasn't he? That God's fatherly love over us, his fatherly care over us is not punitive, it's not harsh, it's loving, it's gracious, it's kind, it's merciful. Even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins, what did he do? He has, through, he has saved us and he has heaped upon us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And if that is how Almighty God has treated us, we fathers should certainly be seeking to communicate the same to our children. I think that's what Paul's doing here. And you know, fine and well, that that leaves absolutely no room for abuse. Authority here does not equal abuse. We're not naive to think that such abuse is only confined to Ephesus or the Dark Ages. Far from it. It certainly exists in our society and even in our churches where fathers who struggle with self-control or who let power go to their head and struggle with the very same things. And if that's any of our brothers here today, you need to come and have a chat with us. There's grace for you. 
and the gospel is powerful for you. Now, I know the majority of fathers in this building today won't be guilty of such abuse, but we will be guilty of being mean, of being selfish, and as a result of that, being overbearing, intimidating, and unfair with our kids. We'll snap at them when they don't deserve it. Daddy, can you unlock this? Go away, I'm doing something. That's harsh. Well, these are the kind of things that stir up anger in our children. And all that does really is just work against what God is wanting our kids to see in us as fathers. So if that's what we shouldn't do as fathers, what then can we do? Well, do not feed your children's rebellion. Instead, feed their faith. Feed their faith. Don't feed your child's rebellious tendencies. Feed them with a soul-nourishing, life-shaping gospel diet. Okay? Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Now, that verb for bring them up means to nourish. It means to lovingly feed them with a view to nurturing maturity and godliness in them. And this word has already been used to describe what Jesus does for his church. Look back with me to chapter 5 verse 29. No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. That feeding there, that nourishing is the same word that we have here. So if the saying is true, you are what you eat. What are we currently training our children to be? Are we nurturing them in laziness? Or in materialism? Or are we just guilt-ridden and failing to even apply the gospel to ourselves and so feeding our kids with a lie that actually the cross and the gospel doesn't really quite do what they keep saying it does. Or you're maybe choosing your subjects and thinking through what you'll do with your life. Let me talk to you about the gospel. That's the kind of thing we should be doing. That's the kind of feeding that we should be doing. Oh, daddy, this boy hit me at school today. I mean, we restrain ourselves. Hit him back. No, 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 no. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, people in this world can be unkind to us. But what difference does the gospel make to how we respond there? Do you think you can find it in your heart to forgive that boy just as Christ has forgiven us? You start feeding them the gospel at every opportunity. For breakfast, lunch, dinner, for supper. Do what Deuteronomy 6 says when you're walking along the road, when you're lying down, the kids jump in, Daddy, is it time to get up? It's a gospel opportunity, I'm told. (laughs) And repentance, yes. Um, You know, when you're walking along the roads. We were walking along the road with my daughter just on Friday there. And she was like, wow, Dad, look at that wall. And all of this was in my head the whole week. I was like, walls, walls, walls. Nehemiah. (laughs) Nehemiah. Let me tell you about a wall. You know, 
turn those things into gospel opportunities, you know. Yeah, all got around to running into the Lord, name of the Lord and being safe and all that. You know, make every opportunity, take every opportunity to feed their faith. Nourish them and prepare them. And train them themselves how to know and how to apply the gospel. It's training that counts. Verse 4 again. Uh, we bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we feed their faith. How do we do that? We do that through training and we do it through correction. Those are the two things that we're going to look at just now. Training. I admit, I loved, I loved football when I was younger. You know, when I was playing for the school team and so on, it was great. I loved it. But you know what I hated? Training. Oh, it made me feel sick. You know, you would run around the track more times than was necessary. They would shout things and you'd have to jump up and pretend to head the ball that wasn't there. Then you would have to bend down and touch the floor and so you'd have to do all these sorts of things. Then you would spend all this time in, in drills and exercises and so on and you would only get a measly 15 minutes for a kickabout at the end. And even then you stopped, you kept on getting stopped. I, I didn't like training. But here's the thing. I found... And it's quite obvious, really, that if you disengage in training, or even just you don't turn up, you wouldn't be prepared for when match day came. It would just end up a disaster. Well, I think in the same way, if we as fathers forget or neglect to train our kids and prepare them for all of life, they will be, like us in the football field, completely unprepared and most likely unfruitful. And the fact that we, ha- we are to bring our children up, even as Paul says here, in the training and instruction of the Lord, tells us, that what, tells us what we have to train them in. We are not left to our own devices to try and set our own agenda. We're not to just sit down and think, right, what do I want for my kids for when they grow up? God has already told us. He has already sufficiently provided his teaching. And repeatedly throughout the scriptures, don't we hear, listen, my son, particularly in Proverbs, listen, my son. Listen to your father's instruction. This is life for you. All the other voices that, that, that barter for your attention and seek to draw you away from this, the path of life, the path of the righteous, is a path to death. Listen. God's word has has given us everything that we need to teach our children. Are we teaching our children the word? Are we showing them God's great plan of salvation? Enabling them to trust in his great grace? Are we? I mean, what do you imagine your child doing when he's 25 or she's 25? That was an amen. answering that question really determines what training we, draw, we, we provide for our kids. Because if we just want for them a good education that in turn will give them a good career, that in turn will give them financial security of their own home, a comfortable life with a nice spouse. You know, none of those, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. If they are truly pursued for God's glory, 
But sometimes these things can be respectable idols. Sometimes I found myself, am I thinking about my own kids' futures? I think, this is the kind of thing I want for them. Actually, do you know what? What I really want for my kids is, conf- is, is for them to know and love Jesus Christ and to be conformed to the image of Him. That's God's will. That's God's plan for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I want them to, to live like like. Like the gospel is that pearl of great price or that treasure in a field that they would consider everything else as worth nothing compared to the, the value of holding Jesus. That, they would, that I would be willing to even love the prospect of them to going off to some unreached people group which will automatically knock 25 years off their life expectancy if Jesus would be glorified. I've had to repent of that. Keep reminding myself that it should not be my primary aim to make them into well-behaved trophies of my parenting skills or simply just to be good and nice so that they're actually liked by other people and so that they won't actually face conflict. And that's, what, that's, an awful lot of, that's really what a lot of parents really want to prevent their children from experiencing, isn't it? Conflict. We don't want them to experience hatred. We don't ex- like experiencing hatred. But Jesus has said, if we follow him, we will experience that hatred. So is it not better then not to try and cover them in cotton wool and protect them from that hatred, but give them the gospel that enables them to respond in the face of hatred train them with the word of God to know him to know the grace that is theirs in the gospel and to know how to apply it even in some of the most complicated even tragic circumstances that life will throw their way is that not more important Should we not be aligning ourselves with God's will for them to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ? And remember, encouraged by Paul's words to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from whom you learned it and how from infancy, infancy you have learned the holy scripture so what age should we start teaching our kids the gospel from the day they're born (laughs) from the day they're born start living it out put it into practice and so on as soon as they can grasp anything use images show them give them memory verses they'll get it from two years old you know their their minds are like sponges Teach them the word. Plant it. Sow it in them so that they can know it and take hold of it. Yeah, they're going to walk around Tesco's and sing, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To your embarrassment slightly. Or they're going to stand at, as my daughter did the other day outside at Craig Leith. There's this big Boots pharmacy. And you know how the pharmacy signs like a big cross? She ran up to the window and put her hands in it and just said, Dad, look, it's the glory of God. <laughs> I was like, yes, that is a cross. Yes. (laughs) 
teach them from infancy. They get it. They get it. Teach them well and never stop. Never stop remembering that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that our children, okay, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So dads, immensely practical. Pick a book of the Bible and walk it through with the kids. Pick a book of the Bible, walk through it with them, and make time to do this and guard it with your life. Do you know the other thing that that UNICEF report revealed? So sad in the UK. UK dads spend an average of 19 minutes with their kids on weekdays. That broke my heart. Make time. I also said in that report that to compensate the parents loaded up their kids with lots of toys and gadgets. UNICEF asked the kids, we don't want gadgets. We want that. Think through how you spend your time with your family. Section that off. Guard it with your life. And train them knowing that if you don't, someone else will. Our children's hearts and minds are like these spiritual gardens. They need to tend it. If we don't sow gospel seeds, other people will sow other kinds of seeds. Now, one of my biggest concerns in this whole area of fathers training their children to know and apply the gospel, my biggest concern is that I think the main reason why fathers don't read the Bible with their children or teach the gospel or make a priority of that is that they don't actually have much confidence in it themselves. And the greater our confidence is in the gospel, that it truly is that which holds the power for salvation of everyone who believes, then the greater our focus will be on teaching it. And I know you're, you're probably sitting there thinking the same thing as me. Woe is me. I, you know, I'd love to do it. I, keep, I hate myself for this. I keep doing this. Like Paul would say, I do not do the things I know I should do. And what I hate, I do. Listen. Listen. There is grace for you today. God's forgiveness, the death of his son, even covers over the the failures and our inadequacies in our parenting. So don't you dare walk out of this place today feeling all guilt-ridden. Fair enough, maybe take a little bit of a kick. And a prod and an, an encouragement, but not guilt, not shame. The gospel doesn't allow that. Train them. Feed their faith by training them. And then lastly, by correcting them. Bring them up in the training and instruction. Instruction of the Lord. The word instruction in there is not just another word for training. It has to do with admonishment. Okay, The word is nuthesia, which means to call to attention something for the purpose of correction. And listen, correction in gospel families is never punitive. It's not for the sake of punishment. I'll teach you. No. It's restorative. The purpose of discipline and correction in the Christian household is restoration. It's gospel opportunity. And biblical correction always expresses God's love. In the same way that as 
we, in repentance, turn to God our Father and do not find him looking over our heads with indifference or frowning at us with great anger, but we see him like the prodigal's father with open arms and ready embrace. That's the way we are to correct our children. That's the way we are to receive our children. But we always express God's love. Oh, you might say, well, you know, why are we doing correction then? If we want, you know, correction can seem harsh. It could even be misunderstood by the kids. Well, we mustn't veer off. We mustn't mistake discipline for being unloving. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So we love our kids. We discipline them. We correct them. I'm not going to go into all the different ways that you can do that. You need to come to your own decision on that. I would end up a legalist if I started giving you instructions. But if you find something that works, that expresses your love and is a picture of the gospel for your kids, it teaches and trains them well and knows that even through submission to your authority, they get to see how good it is to sit under God's loving rule and go ahead. Let's not forget the way God disciplines us either. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, says Hebrews 12. The Lord disciplines those he loves. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. Our fathers disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. That we may, what? Here's the reason. Share in his holiness. It's to make us like Jesus again, isn't it? It's to make our kids like Jesus, knowing that later on, however, though it's painful at the time, nobody likes discipline. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So think through how you discipline and correct your kids. I've told you I'm not going to tell you things to do, but I'm going to tell you a couple of things you shouldn't do, okay? Manipulation, that's wrong, okay? Your sister would never have done that. Fear, just wait till I get you home. Bribery, I'll give you some chocolate if you just take your medicine. That was my example this week. Emotionalism. After all I've done for you, this is how you repay me. Or inconsistency. Okay, just this once. Those will send mixed messages to our kids. But whatever you do, make sure you're calm. Make sure you're calm when you discipline them and they know that you love them. Make sure you're clear. Help them to know exactly what they've done wrong and why it's wrong and what it is that you actually expect of them. Make it a teaching moment and be consistent. Set the good boundaries for them when things are peaceful and when things are happy, not when things are going crazy all over the place. And be gospel-centered. Restoration is the aim. Lead them to Jesus. Lead them to the gospel. Let them see how great and gracious God is towards them, even though they sin. And you teach and train your kids that, you can be sure that even if they go off into a wayward rebellion later on in life, your example will have taught them that there is one that they can turn to when they come to their senses. 
All in all, parenting matters, doesn't it? It's got quite a place in God's plan for raising up a generation of followers of Jesus Christ. And the more we look into it, the more we understand it, actually the bigger the stakes seem to be. There's a lot riding on this parenting business. And when we look at it, we do feel like we have, in many ways, failed our kids. But again, let's not walk around in that condemnation. We communicate nothing of the gospel to our kids if that's what we do. But we need to be real. We need to look after our own hearts in particular. Careful to consider how we apply the gospel to our own lives, knowing that, yes, do you know what? Even in our parenting, even with these little kids that run around or with the bigger teenage kids that run around, our motivations will be mixed. We prefer selfishness and self-rule at times. Our interventions won't be perfect. Our emotions will be in turmoil. But again, just listen, God is gracious. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, both in his grace through his son and in his word, which trains and corrects us so that we can then train and correct our kids. This, his grace, his grace is exactly what gives us the strength to carry on. His grace is what enables you to, after this service, go and pick up your little kid who was refusing to get in the car before you came to church and give them a big hug and tell them how much you love them and how much Jesus loves them. God uses this whole parenting thing, uses all of those experiences to deepen our dependence on him. And that's because I think when our kids come to believe the gospel for themselves, Lord willing, our boasting will be in Jesus Christ and glory will be given to him because it won't be on our best efforts. It will be again his grace. So let's pray together.